This will be a continuation of our studies on the doctrine of hell. So, actually, this is number 19, if anyone is taking notice of that, numbering it. But we just finished up speaking of the different compartments that compose hell or the nether parts of the earth. And now we're going to look at what happened when Jesus, or his dealings with it. You know, when you consider the truth... Jesus made all things, it says in John chapter 1, verse 3. He made all for His glory. He made everything. This is remarkable that He would enter into hell, which this place uh, of punishment that He created for the devil and His angels. But in reality, this is a part of the gospel. His work continued way beyond the cross and into the grave. So what He accomplished down in the nether parts of the earth This would completely seal Satan's doom, and uh, it says that he spoiled him through his death, burial, and resurrection. So in Colossians 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So what seemed to be the darkest days or the day of his life, Jesus turned it into the greatest of triumph. But the cross was only a part of his triumph. And so we will list the uh, progression or attempt to look at the progression of events concerning Christ's descent into hell all the way to his triumphant ascension into heaven when he went back to, to be with the Father. But it says that he spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly. That's an open shaming. And then he triumphed over them in his cross and in his death. So number one, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. This is the whole world. He died for all sins. So 1 John 2, 2, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of of the whole world. So here it is right here. His death was universal in that it met the righteous demands of God for every man. Christ died for sin. He died for all sins. And he died for all sinners. Everyone, none accepted. But men must have faith in the finished work of Christ and get the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed unto them. For if they don't, they will still end up in hell because faith is personal and faith is choosing with your own volition to believe. So even though Jesus did pay for their sin and Jesus was the propitiation for their sins, it has to be applied by faith. It says that after he died, his body was in the tomb for three complete days. 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 3 and 4, they put his body into the tomb, and this is part of the gospel that he was buried, it says. And then, Matthew 12, verse 39 and 40, Jesus prophesied and said, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be in the days, uh, three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus was buried in the same amount of time that Jonah was in the well's belly or the fish's belly. In studying the events of his death, 
you've got to conclude that Jesus died not on Good Friday like the Catholics and some of the Protestants erroneously teach. No, he died on Wednesday evening, right before sunset. So that would mean they put him in the tomb right at dark or right before dark, which would also mean that he rose Saturday night after sunset, which basically, uh, scripturally speaking, becomes Sunday morning or Sunday, which is the Lord's day. That would give a full 72 hours that Jesus was in the grave from Wednesday evening to Saturday night, right after sunset. So when Jesus died on the cross, it says in Luke 23, 46, that he cried with a loud voice and said, Father, into into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. So Jesus, when he died, he committed his spirit to the Father and gave the ghost up. He was the only person to willingly lay down his life and choose the exact moment of death. This would be the spirit of life that all men received uh, from God upon getting life. When you were born, God breathed into your body and into your, uh, the breath of life. You became a living soul, Genesis 2-7. We'll look at some of this later in another study on the makeup of man. But when the spirit leaves the man, he ceases to live. It, it, it is, he dies. The body without the spirit is dead, it says in James. So the spirit is a gift from God to all creatures, man and beast. Ecclesiastes 3.19, For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them. As one dieth, so dieth the other. Yeah, they all have one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. So in one, the beast and the man are common in one thing for sure. We both have breath to live, and it came from God. And so Jesus, when he died, he released his spirit of life that made the body breathe and continue living. He committed it to the Father, and so he gave up the ghost. And so his soul... And his spirit, you want to call it his personal spirit, body, soul, and spirit, he gave up the spirit of life when he died. But he has a a soul and a body and a spirit. And so his body went into the tomb, and his soul and spirit descended into the regions of hell, went downward. Because it says in Ephesians 4, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now here it is. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. The psalmist David said in a prophecy of Christ, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will I suffer thy holy one to see corruption. So we see that in a prophecy His soul went down into hell, but God showed him the path of life and raised him from the dead. Psalm 16, verse 10 and 11. Clearly, his spirit descended because the Bible says he did works in the spirit and preached in the power of the spirit down in hell. And we'll look at this. So when Jesus went down into hell after dying on the cross and they buried his body in the grave, which is going to it's going to sleep in the grave for three days. Jesus went down to this place called Tartarus that we spoke of earlier to preach to fallen angels locked up there. 
First Peter 3, verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which, here it is, also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing. So these spirits were disobedient. God put them in hell in a place called Tartarus. Jesus went down. It says he preached to them. So this has to do with the angelic conflict. They were, in, they were chained down in hell in, in, uh, under darkness. And so he gave them announcement of victory. It was a publishing type of preaching that he won the victory and he was the a sacrifice for sin for man. And this ensured their eternal defeat and their judgment. It's interesting. 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, and preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. So much in this verse. It says in this verse, he was seen of angels. I think this had to be for the angelic conflict to be decided. Jesus had to become a man and, and God became flesh and the angels had to see it. And the angels had to know. So this has great significance. This is called the mystery of godliness. All the angelic hosts witness God, the Son, as the Son of Man, saw him become a man. And then see that he was victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And so he was the victor, and his dying for the sin of man was their eternal doom, certain, certain doom for the fallen angels. Just as the mystery of iniquity produced a satanic son, which is the, the son of perdition, or the Antichrist, the mystery of godliness produced a perfect, sinless Son of God. So failure to believe in the deity of Christ, this is very important when it comes to salvation. Because if you don't believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, and people, many believe that he was a created God or a lesser God or a God that was actually procreated, if you believe those false teachings, you are an antichrist, you are a deceiver, and you will have a certainty in hell. First John, uh, First John 4, 2 says it's the spirit of Antichrist. Listen to this verse. Second John 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an Antichrist. What is it saying? If you don't believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and we just read in 1 Timothy 3.16 that God was manifest in the flesh, if you don't believe this, you're a deceiver and an antichrist, and you will be joining Satan and the fallen angels in an eternal hell. But Jesus went down to hell and preached to the spirits in prison to tell them that redemption is done. He paid the price, and he's about to rise from the dead. So since after that happened, or while this is happening, Something must have happened where Jesus disposed of our sins somewhere in hell, and we'll, we'll speak about that later. But it says in Hebrews 9, 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Jesus came the first time to bear the sins of many, and to take that, where did he bear it? He took it somewhere. 
He took it to the cross, but he had to take it far, far away. We will look at that. He bore our sins on the cross and then descended into hell. When he comes the second time, second coming of Christ, he will be separate from sin. He will be completely without sin to finish our salvation as we are raised from the dead. So he bore our sins on the cross. Then Jesus descended into hell willingly, only to rise with no sin or taint. So it says in Romans 6.10, For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So let's move on. We'll talk about that more later. When Jesus went to hell, and of course he preached to the spirits in prison, he deposited our sins somewhere in hell, and then he took a spoil from Satan and the forces of evil. He actually spoiled them. We read it in Colossians saying that he made a show of them openly and spoiled principalities and powers. He robbed them. Now in Isaiah 53, 12, interesting verse, it says, Therefore, while I divide him, Jesus, a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. And why does he get to do this? Because he hath poured out his soul into death, and was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The spoiling, remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees when they were saying that he was casting out devils by the prince of devils? He said, you can't do that unless you bind the strong man. Then you can spoil his house. Jesus began his spoiling of the satanic forces while he was on the earth casting out devils. He bound the strong man and went in and, and spoiled his house. Well, when Jesus went to hell and down into the nether parts, he robbed and or spoiled Satan of a lot that he had down there. We don't fully understand this, but in his death, he spoiled principalities and powers openly. And so his triumph ascension, if you want to call it that, or his resurrection, excuse me, his triumphant resurrection from the dead was preceded by his scriptural death as he made a show of them openly. And so by Jesus' descent into hell, he took away all power from Satan, even the power of death, which apparently he had at one time. Hebrews 2.14 says that he did, but Jesus took it. Christ took the captors of hell, those who were capti captivating those down in hell. He took the captors and he made them the captives. He, was it say? He led captivity captive. He rose from the dead with many spoils of war that he, he was working hard when he was on the cross, dying for our sins. Says he will share these spoils with his own people. Psalm 68, 18, thou hast ascended on high, for thou hast led captivity captive, there it is again, and thou hast re received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord might dwell among them. So he, he brought gifts unto men. So this would include gifts for spiritual growth of the church, Ephesians 4 tells us, and uh, many other things, spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus that we now get to enjoy. Just as Israel spoiled the Egyptians during the Exodus when they left Egypt. Jesus took all from Satan when he led uh, the Exodus from the nether parts of the earth. And it says he will share his spoils with the strong. So that being said, when Jesus spoiled hell, 
one of the things he did was he opened the gates to Abraham's bosom and led the souls of the righteous dead that were down there in a departure from the netherworld, never to go back. He led captivity captive. So those that were resting and waiting in paradise for the finished work of Jesus Christ, now they are ready to be taken to heaven. Sin had been paid for, disposed of, and they that were captive are now led to freedom and led to glory. Even though they were righteous before this time, they were still held captive down below. And so... Now Jesus has broken open the gates and led the way and led them uh, captive. He took them and freed them so that they would be captive unto God. Notice that only their souls were brought up. This needs to be brought up. They did not have a bodily resurrection. They were, the souls went up with him. David is a perfect example of this. When, When Peter's preaching at Pentecost, which is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, He tells them, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. And and it even goes on to say, he has not yet ascended to the heavens. This is David had not yet ascended at this time. So David's still in the grave. His, uh, His body was still in the grave. He had not risen yet. And so the righteous dead of the Old Testament, they're in heaven now, but only by their, their souls are in heaven. They're waiting for the resurrection of their bodies, which has not happened yet. Remember, Jesus was the, the first fruits of them that slept. He was the first to rise. When Jesus arose from the dead and, and his soul and spirit reunited with his body, there was a great earthquake that day. It says there was a, in, uh, uh, let's see here, Matthew 28, 2. There was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. He came up from hell, entered his new glorified body, and he exited the tomb. So the bodily resurrection proved Jesus' great power. Then the earthquake was a result of it. It proved that he was the son of God by the resurrection of the dead. And so Jesus, when he went, to the netherworld. He went down and preached to the spirits in prison. He deposited our sins in hell, and we'll speak more of that. He led captivity captive and brought souls out of hell, and he emptied Abraham's bosom and spoiled principalities and powers. Think about all that Jesus did on his journey. Three-day journey into hell. He remedied in three days what it took thousands of years for men to ruin. It's an amazing thing what we have here with God. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead, it says that every that the rocks rent. And so a great, great earthquake took place at this time. Now, at that earthquake, it says that when Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake. And then when he rose from the dead, there was an earthquake. So Jesus entering into death, brought a a huge earthquake into the earth and the rocks were rent and cracked. But when Jesus came to life and entered his body and brought to life, there was a huge earthquake. So the, and it says in Matthew 27 that when he did, when he rose from the dead, many of the graves around the area of Jerusalem broke open and some of the saints were raised with him. Now, 
kind of hard to understand what took place. It says many. It doesn't say all. These tombs were opened, and they were waiting for the resurrection of our Lord. So apparently when the, when the earthquake took place, the graves broke open, and then three days later they rose with him, and they, uh, they slept. They were sleeping, but they came alive and showed them to people themselves to people living in Jerusalem. Now, this was not a resurrection of all righteous dead, a select group that would reveal themselves and show the power of Christ. Because he arose, they would rise also. This was a special revealing, a revelation, to prove the validity of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a speculation on whether these bodies of these people that rose with him, whether they remained in the graves or went with Jesus, because every resurrection corresponds to a judgment, and there was no judgment that took place at this time, they probably returned to their graves. And I'll read this again, because as mentioned before, even David himself had still not ascended. Acts 2.34, Peter said, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou in my right hand. So he's saying, I didn't go, David didn't go up, but Jesus sure did. And Jesus ascended into heaven. So the resurrection and the judgment of Old Testament saints will not happen until after the tribulation period in the future. Matthew 24, 31. So all the souls that were in Abraham's bosom are in heaven now. They are souls. Haven't gotten their resurrected body yet. And none of our the church age saints have gotten their resurrected bodies yet. That's the souls. So the souls of the righteous dead Here's another thought. Here's another thing that Jesus did when he went to hell. It says he took, obviously took paradise and took it with him up to heaven, which was Abraham's bosom. Or This is where the tree of life is, which we spoke of. Jesus told them, touch me not, for I have not ascended yet to my father. He's going up to heaven when he rose from the dead and he told Mary Magdalene, don't touch me yet. I have work to do. I have to take some, I have to go to heaven first. Interesting that Paul mentioned he got caught up to paradise. He didn't know if he was in an, in an, in a body or out of body experience, but he couldn't tell which, but he was caught to the third heaven. He was caught to a place called paradise. He was caught to a place where the tree of life lived or grew. And so this is obvious. Jesus, there was a changing again of paradise or the, the place where the tree of life was. So, as stated earlier, it seems that paradise and the tree of life are always in the same place. Presently, they are in heaven. Revelation 2, 7 says. So we'll move on from that. Now, Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he applied his own blood that it was shed on the on the cross, somehow he kept it with him. This was special blood, and he applied it to the true mercy seat, which is on the ark in heaven. Now, many students of the Bible don't believe there is a true ark in heaven, that it's all figurative, but there obviously is. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And then he says, it was necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified 
with these. Just the patterns could be purified with earthly things, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. So Jesus went up to heaven and applied the blood on the ark to the mercy seat in heaven. There's obviously one there, Revelation 11:19 says. And so Moses made an earthly ark of the covenant after the pattern of the true one that's before the throne of God. And the blood applied proves and seals our salvation. The blood that is on that ark is proof that the that God's wrath is a, is a propitiated and appeased and that we are saved. It says that he put away our sin and now he is now without sin. So it's not only the shed blood of Christ that saves, but the applied blood before God that made the propitiation. Romans 3, 25. So after the blood was applied to the mercy seat on that day Jesus rose from the dead, he returned to earth to show himself to his disciples. And then he stayed with them for 40 days, it says. So after many infallible proofs, Jesus showed himself for 40 days that he ascended out of hell and rose from the dead. He was preparing his followers for Pentecost, which would come 10 days after his resurrection. So what did he do last? I've already kind of mentioned this. He gave gifts unto the church for edification in the work of the ministry. This is found in Ephesians 4, 8 through 12. These gifts that came from spoils of war that he accumulated through his death and resurrection, these are special gifts. Pastors, teachers, evangelists, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit to serve him with, the spiritual blessings that we enjoy in heavenly places in Christ. He gave us these to the church to enable us to wage spiritual warfare while we're still on this earth. And so because Jesus took the spoil, we're to be gathering spoils of war now down here on earth as we served him. Now there's much more to say about Christ's journey into hell, but this is what the work he did during the three year span that we know of, and there, there could be much, much more. It's uh, it's too much for us to take in or comprehend but what an amazing god what a salvation that he has provided and oh what a savior is mine now next time we're going to continue looking at this and and we're going to look at jesus payment of our sin and then also how he rid us of our sin a complete ridding away of our sin but thank you for uh, listening in hope you're learning some things lord bless you